everyone. My name is Catherine Veracruz. I'm the new client relations manager with Empower Physical Therapy. This is a recording from a past event with Stephanie featuring Dr. Ortiz, who is a rheumatologist on back and knee pain. Hope you enjoy it. This is the Empower Your Life podcast, where you can find some of the best health and life tips to keep you active and living your life without having to go through procedures, surgeries, or medications. We want to give you hope that it is possible as the body has an amazing ability to heal if we give it the right environment. Stay tuned to the end of this podcast to hear a very special offer. Without a further ado, let's get started. Awesome. Oh my gosh, guys. Welcome, welcome. I'm so excited to do this. I'm so excited that I'm partnering with Dr. Ortez. This is a, a special treat. And today we're going to talk about how to stay active as we age without aches and pains. Uh, we have a lot of great questions from you guys that we will go through probably as we do our presentation, but also we'll go back and address some of those at the end. <clears throat> so I want to introduce um, Dr. Ortez. She's from Connected Rheumatology. Why don't you go ahead and share a little bit about yourself before we get started? Yeah, no, I'd love to. So as she said, my name's Dr. Elizabeth Ortiz and I'm a rheumatologist. I have been practicing rheumatology for a little over 10 years. I'm born and raised in Texas, but I did all my education and training in New York and LA. And then I recently moved back about 10 weeks before COVID hit. So um, I, I feel like I just got here, but really I've been here about a year. Um, and I've built Connected Rheumatology to enable me to take care of patients in the way that um, I was finding patients needed and weren't able to get in the traditional system. So I'm able to really spend a lot of time with patients and really get to the root problem of whatever rheumatologic or musculoskeletal problem that people find themselves dealing with. Yeah, which I love. Speaks my language. <laughs> Perfect. So this is what we're going to talk about. Um, we're going to talk about when pain is more than arthritis, how to know when it's a mechanical pain or something else. So we'll go into that a little bit. Why MRIs, medications, injections can lead down to some uh, more unnecessary procedures and really just kind of how, how to get back to living life without, um, you know, having knee and back pain when no one else really could help. Yeah. So, so yeah, just, I just wanted to take a moment and just say how great it is to have this talk with Stephanie, just because it's very rare to find a rheumatologist and physical therapist in the same room talking about the same topics, even though we take <laughs> care of a lot of the same patients, um, we tend to stay in our silos. And so I think it's great that we're both, we're both here to kind of give you our perspective on these conditions. And so, this, what I wanted to talk about is what you can expect to get from your rheumatologist, how the rheumatologist's mind is working when you go to them with joint pain. Um, of course, when we think about joint pain, a lot of us are always concerned about this idea of arthritis. Of course, what does that really even mean? But when you see a rheumatologist, a rheumatologist is trained to think of and consider autoimmune or inflammatory types of um, conditions. So those are gonna be like rheumatoid arthritis and lupus, but also psoriatic arthritis, ankylosing spondylitis, which is something a lot of people haven't heard of, but it's an inflammatory back pain that is probably more common than we currently are diagnosing. And we also take care of fibromyalgia. Now fibromyalgia 
as of now, hasn't been proven to be an autoimmune or inflammatory condition, but it does fall under the umbrella of what rheumatologists take care of and oftentimes can present with joint pain. So you might be going to your doctor to talk about your knee pain or your hand or back pain, but the rheumatologist is really thinking much more broadly to make sure that there's not one of these other autoimmune or systemic problems going on. And so what are they going to be looking for? What are the signs and symptoms that the doctor, the, specifically the rheumatologist, is going to ask you? And these are things that you can kind of think of on your own. I used to give a lot of lectures to students and young doctors at different levels, and I would always say the number one question that you need to ask all patients that come in with arthritis when you're trying to figure out what type of arthritis they have is morning stiffness. And so what you want to start taking note of is are you stiff in your joints when you wake up in the morning and how stiff are you? So what we typically say is anyone with something like rheumatoid arthritis or lupus or something autoimmune or inflammatory, their morning stiffness will last right around an hour. And it's actually pretty amazing how on the dot that tends to be. So I'm not saying that you can't get out of bed for an hour, but it might be an hour into your morning before you start really feeling like you can move comfortably. Now, for better or for worse, it's not uncommon as we get older to start noticing that we don't just jump out of bed the way we used to. And oftentimes that can be worrisome. Um, and we can feel like, oh, my morning's is getting is getting really bad. Um, but it's good to know how long it takes you if you get up, go to the bathroom, maybe even need to stick your hands under some hot water for a few minutes, but you notice after about five, 10 minutes, you're good. That tends to be more like osteoarthritis. It's really between 60 and 90 minutes where people who have inflammatory like RA will notice it takes their body that long to warm up. The other thing we always want to take note of is when someone is in pain, when they're having joint pain, do they want, do they feel better if they push through and just keep moving or do they need to stop and rest? Now this isn't a hundred percent, but for the most part, when people have an inflammatory condition, once they're up and moving, they want to keep moving because the minute they stop and sit, their body stiffens up on them. And those with osteoarthritis and fibromyalgia are just the opposite. Once they start having pain, they really need to rest in order to feel better. All of these conditions, for the most part, will show some improvement when taking any kind of NSAIDs. NSAID stands for non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug. So these are going to be like your um, ibuprofen or your naproxen. And just because you might feel better while taking them, it doesn't really specify what type of arthritis you might have. And then when you see the doctor, they're most likely going to run some inflammatory blood test. And the two most common ones I have here is the ESR. It's also called the SED rate and the CRP. And these is just a data point. It does not make a diagnosis. They are notoriously nonspecific. The ESR and CRP can be elevated if you have the flu, if you um, are under stress, or if you have cancer. So you can see how there's a big range. And so it's a piece of data that your doctor will check, but it certainly doesn't make a diagnosis. Um, and also you might have some x-rays done and we're gonna talk about x-rays later on. Um, the x-rays, if someone has had, for example, osteoarthritis or rheumatoid arthritis for a long time, we can see changes in the x-ray that are typical for each one of those conditions, meaning, 
I can look at an x-ray of a knee that's had rheumatoid arthritis for 15 years and just from the x-ray say that's a rheumatoid arthritis knee. But that's someone who's had the disease for a long time. If you've only had pain for six to eight weeks, an x-ray most likely isn't going to tell you very much information to help you decipher what type of arthritis you're dealing with. And the other thing I want to mention is when you go to see your doctor, whether it's your primary care doctor or a rheumatologist for joint pain, they are not just going to ask you about that joint. They're going to be looking for other signs and symptoms that something bigger than osteoarthritis is going on. So they'll be looking for rashes like psoriasis. They're going to ask you about your gut health. Are you having any abdominal pain, bloating, constipation, diarrhea, and they're going to look at all of your joints. You might just be going because of your knee, but a thorough doctor is going to do a head to toe joint exam to see if there's signs or of any other type of arthritis going on. I wanted to throw in a few words about low back pain in particular. Low back pain is very common. More than 7% of the world population at one point or another is going to have activity limiting low back pain. And right now it's the number one cause of disability globally. And the thing I wanted to point out is even though it is so common, finding a cause, a true cause for the back pain is actually pretty rare. Now that doesn't mean that we don't try to find a cause. Oftentimes we get x-rays and we get MRIs and we might even have do injections to try to figure out if we can pinpoint exactly where the pain is coming from. But most of the time we don't actually find out. Now, Low back pain, when we talk about that generic type of low back pain where we don't really know where it's coming from, there are some risk factors that might put you at a higher risk for developing it. One is if you've had one episode of low back pain, then you're at higher risk for developing another episode. Those with chronic medical conditions like um, diabetes, hypertension, with mental health problems, obesity, smokers have higher risk of low back pain. Physical activity definitely plays a role, whether you have a physical job or whether you have a job where you're just sitting in front of the computer all day. Um, having decreased physical activity can all lead you to having back pain and genetics plays a role. Um, when we talk about osteoarthritis in the upcoming slides, genetics plays a big role in all of this. Now, how it plays a role and which genes are involved, we still don't know, but there's definitely a genetic component. So let's get into a little bit about some of the things that we help when it comes to like knee pain or back pain. Um, and I like to put people into kind of categories. So, you know, this, this is, it, you know, why I go into like why medications injections don't always work with knee pain and back pain. And it's because you've got to get to the source of the problem. So we really feel pain three ways. We feel pain mechanically. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that. We feel pain thermally, thermally be like burns, some burns, we can kind of take those off the plate. And then we feel pain chemically. Um, and chemical pain is really like that inflammatory type condition type of pain. Um, chemical pain typically is pain that is constant, that it, does, um, it doesn't come and go. It's something that, um, you know, is that throbbing, aching type of pain. Um, usually you can't, well, usually you can't change your position and change um, a chemical pain. It's just, it's kind of there. Um, and so... Other, other pains that we also go into, once when I kind of address that like, nope, you don't have a mechanical issue, this doesn't, really, this doesn't really present as a chemical issue, I start going into other things like autoimmune because autoimmune conditions for the most part, you don't see any patterns with this. With autoimmune conditions, 
you know, with mechanical pain, we have patterns. I pretty much have seen this before. There's a mechanical presentation. We can talk about, you know, mechanical pain. You know, the questions you can ask to see if you have mechanical pain is, can you change your position to make it better and worse? Um, those are mechanical things. Those are the those are the changes in positions that are creating some of your issues. But also, you know, we know that that it's an orthopedic type issue. Um, it's it's your daily activities of things that you do. Mechanical pain can be pain that happens all the time, or it can be pain that can come and go. Um, you never know. So the way I like to describe mechanical pain is like it's like pulling your finger back. If you pull your finger back, that's the mechanics of us. We're able we're we're putting our body in a position. And if you hit, keep your finger back and you hold it there time after time, year after year, day after day, whatever, our joints don't like being in those positions. And it doesn't matter if we do injections or if we do um, soft tissue work or joint mobs or you know, um, medications or surgery. If we don't fix pulling our finger back, which is really that lifestyle, that everyday things that we do throughout the day, you're going to continue to have those problems. And that's really one of the things that we address. Again, that's kind of the mechanics that's a, of what we do. Now, when we get into, um, you know, more autoimmune or emotional, autoimmune type of pain, literally like it's pain. There's no rhyme or reason. Like it's just there. Like you can't change it. It's really weird, random symptoms. And a lot of times I ask the exact same kind of questions. I'm like, do you have any stomach issues? Are you having any bowel issues that are going on? And, and they'll be like, oh my God, yes. You know, the, they'll usually at the point when they have all these symptoms and I'm telling you with some of these, you know, autoimmune type conditions, you'll feel like you are crazy, but you're not because you can go and get blood tests after blood tests after blood tests and everything's going to come back normal. You have to be in a really bad state for them to show things, things up. So that's why it's so frustrating. Um, but when you can get to a doctor, that actually believes you, even if there's no testing that they know that something is going on, then you're definitely going to be able to, to get some help. So I pretty much can tell when, when there's an autoimmune type condition, because there's no patterns, there's no rhyme or reason um, to what's going on. There can be an emotional um, part of the pain too. The emotional pain can be, um, there are patterns with that. Because if they've been doing well, and then all of a sudden you start asking, they come in and they're like, oh my gosh, I had increased pain. I don't know what I did. You start asking them questions. All of a sudden they start telling you it's, you know, been a really stressful week at work and, um, or, you know, they've, they're, they have that chronic stress that's going on and you have to deal with that emotional side of things. So like, this is where I tell you, you have to get to the source of the problem because, just going in and having surgery and throwing random things at it, it's not gonna help, but our body has an amazing ability to heal if we get, give it the right environment, if we get down to the source of the problem. And that's essentially, that's, that's what we do. And when we look at, you know, whether it's knee pain or back pain, there's so many things that we have to look at to figure out what it is. And I don't, I always tell people, you know, where the side of the pain is, is often not where the source of the problem is. So you could have a knee issue that could be coming from the back. And most healthcare providers will go strictly to the knee and they're like, oh, it's a, it's a knee issue. Let's look at the knee. And they're like, wait a second, let me ask a few more questions. Let's sit down and, and like kind of dive into this. And all of a sudden we realize there's a back issue or there's a hip issue. Like your hip may not be moving very well that's creating some of the knee issues. Um, or it could be a knee issue or it could be a combo of a lot of things. So you've got to look at the big picture and that's where people mess up. Um, and if you don't look at the big picture, even if you go in and have surgery, I mean, um, on your knee or your back, 
you're not addressing some of these issues that could have been there. And that's why one back surgery leads to another back surgery, which leads to another back surgery. Literally like um, I have a, a patient that I saw like, my gosh, it was like probably three or four years ago. And he came into our office and, um, and I was asking him questions and he literally, he was on the surgery, the surgeon's table and said, I'm done. I'm not going to do this. Like he literally was on the surgeon's table and he went into the office and, um, he was waiting to have his surgery and he was just asking all the patients around him, you know, what, um, what's, you know, what are they having? And they're like, they were all having back surgery, but they all were on their second and third back surgery. He was on his first surgery. He goes into the office and, and, and they're prepping him for the surgery and he's on the table and the, and the nurse asks him, so what, um, what, uh, um, you know, what's your pain level right now? And he says, well, I don't have any pain right now. And they go, you don't have any pain right now? And he goes, no, like, I don't have pain in the morning. It just kind of gets worse as the day goes on. And they were like shocked. And so he got scared because he was like, oh my gosh. And he literally, um, when the surgeon came in, he goes, yeah, I don't think I'm gonna have this surgery. Got up and walked out, somehow made it to our office. And we saw him and like a month later, he was pain free and walking and doing his life. Like literally he almost had surgery. So again, you've got to get to, to the source of the problem. So what does the research tell us? Um, and kind of like exactly what I'm saying, like one surgery leads to another surgery. In this country, we do 200% more back surgeries than any other country. If you are at the age of like 50 and above and they're telling you that you need to have a meniscal tear, um, you just need to walk out because let me tell you when you're at that age that, I mean, if you look at the research, just general exercise is going to be better than having the surgery a year from now, just general exercise. But what if we could get to specific exercises, specific exercises that address your problem, um, will be even better getting you back to your life. We had another patient that literally was, you know, debating on whether to have total knee replacement or not. And I asked her this question. I asked her, so what is, what is it that you, that is like limiting you the most? And she said fatigue. And I go, I go, so how is a total knee replacement going to address your fatigue? She goes, I was wondering the same thing. <laughs> and I said, it's not like, we've got to go figure this out. And so we looked at her, her knee and you know, her knee wasn't moving very well. We gave her some joint mobs some joint stretches, taught her how to do that. Her hip wasn't moving very well on the same side. We also showed her some stretches and then we started doing some general strengthening. Now at the time we gave her very basic exercises. She was so like, like had no strength whatsoever. And we eventually put her into our Pilates program and she's with us today. And she literally, I mean, when she started, I can remember it was 30 minutes and she probably could do three exercises. Um, and that was all that she could do because she had to take rest breaks and for her to do one activity it took her an hour to prep and then she was wiped out for the rest of the day. Now she's out and about, you know, living her life. Um, but a, a total knee replacement would not have even helped her. Like it would have made her worse because it wasn't getting to the problem to the root cause of her, of her, um, of what was going on. So here's some of the causes of knee pain and back pain. I like to kind of clump them together because everything's connected. I should put hip pain in there too. <laughs> They're all kind of connected and it can be a lot of different things. And so I always tell people that you've got to get the mobility back first. And that's not like flexibility. That's like the joints have to be moving correctly. And so you can have like my right knee, it's, it's a mess. Let me, I played sports. I've had a couple of surgeries. I wish I wouldn't have had the second surgery because it messed me up even more. Um, and, but I don't always have my mobility in my knee. I have to do things to keep that mobility, but I can. And if I do my exercises, 
it stays, it does great, and I have no problems. Um, you have to look at the mobility of the hip because that can also affect the knee. Because let's, let's face it, all the muscles that attach into the hip all attach into the knee. And so if the hip's not moving, then those same muscles can tense up and, and give you some protection that can create knee pain. Um, you also have to look at the mobility of the back. We've had many a times where the knee wasn't even fully moving. Like we couldn't even move it, extend it and bend it all the way. And it really was a back problem. So you have to really get to the source of what it is. And like I said, most of the people that come into our office have tried everything. <laughs> They've tried everything. Um, and it's not just one thing. It could be one thing for some people, but sometimes it's a combo. Like we're peeling layers of, of years of things that are, have been going wrong with you guys. And so that's the first piece is really looking at the mobility. The next piece then is once we have the mobility and everything's moving well, and, and sometimes, you know, there, there's soft tissue that we add in with that mobility, then we've got to look at like the strengthening, then we've got to get you stronger. Um, because if you don't have strength specifically in those hips, like hip extensors, hip abductors, the hip um, external rotators, the deep hip rotators, then you're also going to have some knee pain as well. Um, but if you're, if you don't have mobility in your hip, it doesn't matter if you get the strengthening piece of it because your muscles will not fire correctly unless you have the mobility that you need. So then we start working on, on strengthening and then that's going to be specific to like what's going on with you. Everyone's a little bit different on what we find. Um, and then we got to get into the movement ha habits. So that's going to be more of that neuromuscular re-education of like, okay, now getting into like, why, why, what patterns are you doing throughout the day that's that, that is feeding into what you're doing. So like, for instance, a lot of times with back pain, we find that people that have sitting jobs, it's the worst because they sit, they sit in a slouch position. It's very similar to like pulling your finger back. Your joints don't like being in these positions. We're always bent over, you know, always bending, slouching, sitting, especially during this, this time of year, you know, with COVID and everything, we've been sitting way more um, and our joints stay in those flex positions. They don't like being in that. Um, our joints like being moved in all different directions, but if we're moving repetitively in one position, one direction, it's kind of like, you know, going down the same path, you keep, you, you create almost these ruts. <laughs> and you have to undo that by like reversing the directions and opening up the joints that way. So what in your lifestyle are you doing that might be creating, creating some of your problems? What are some of the movement habits that you're doing that we need to address? Um, and that's a piece that most other healthcare providers don't do. We've got to get into the why. Otherwise, it's kind of like, you know, people have heart disease. And they're like, oh, we need to have bypass surgery. So they clab by these clogged arteries. So they bypass the problem that is, that's the problem. Well, that's great. Like you're alive, we bypassed it, but why did that artery clog? If you don't get to the why, then all you're doing is just buying time to have another surgery again, because you're going back to the same habits that you had before that you need to make changes for. Um, it's the same here. It's the exact same thing here. And that's one of the things that we do. Um, and the biggest thing is really getting to the source of the problem. What is really causing your back problem, your knee problem? You know, I could give you all the stretches and all the things that you can do, but it may not be specific to you. I know one of the big questions that we keep on and that I keep, we've had a lot of questions that of like, you know, how do you prevent it from coming back again? Well, usually it's the exact same thing that we, you know, we taught you how to do to get out of it. You just have to keep on doing it. There's, there's like three or four stretches that I have to implement into my 
routine, my exercise routine at the end of my exercise routine. And if I don't, I start having problems because I have to manage it. I have a bad knee, got to manage my bad knee. So I can stay active. It's just like, you know, you have a car, you got to manage your car too. You don't just let the car and drive and drive and drive and don't put new oil in. And I mean, so it's, it's really the same thing. So you have to, um, you know, it's usually the same activities that we've shown you before. Sometimes you just need a tune up and you get a tune up and you're like, oh, I'm back. Okay, perfect. Remind me what I'm supposed to do again. Yes, it's this exercise. Okay, yes, I do remember that. I'm going to do that. And then they start feeling good again. Yeah, no, and I just want to reiterate that I have a 20 minute little warm up that I've developed, you know, putting together the exercise I do plus what I've learned at my own physical therapist back in LA. And it's not like a warm up for exercise. It's a warm up like just for life. Because <laughs> I just I part of the reason I moved back to Texas was I have a lot of um, young nieces and nephews and cousins and I want to be able to play with them and keep up. And when I first moved here a year ago after um, after a year of sitting behind a desk in my previous job and having a lot of stress in my previous job, I was like a tin man. And over, over this year of doing my warmups, I now can play and squat and do all the things with the kids that I want to do. And I've definitely learned, yeah, it's just part of what I got to do to take care of myself <laughs> yes. and stay active and vital. Um, and I just loved everything you said. I just wanted to highlight all those things that you were saying about the strengthening and figuring out where the root of the problem is and all of that, that pertains to all types of what even our, all types of arthritis. So whether you're talking about osteoarthritis or rheumatoid arthritis, it doesn't matter. Just because you might have an autoimmune inflammatory condition that and, and you take a bunch of medications that your rheumatologist gives you doesn't mean that you can't also benefit from um, what a good physical therapist can teach you about your body and how to, how your body moves. I think a lot of times when patients have conditions that are chronic and require medications that lower immune system like lupus and, and RA and all those other autoimmune, everyone gets so, um, funnel vision about like, well, my rheumatologist is the only person who understands my condition and what I'm going through and only, and I just need medications, but the same things, the same malalignments, the same movement patterns that can cause problems happen in inflammatory conditions too. Now, if you are in the midst of an active flare and you are really suffering from a lot of inflammation and can't move, then maybe that's not the right time. But when everything is controlled, I think that's exactly the right time to go see the physical therapist be like, okay, my RA is controlled now, now, but I'm still having a little bit of hip pain or I'm still having a little bit of knee pain and it doesn't look to be inflammatory. And so then you can really kind of dig into, well, how are you walking and how are you sitting and all those other things that might be contributing to your pain. So I just wanted to throw that out there. That's not just for you know, osteoarthritis patients. It's really for any patient who, who no matter what diagnosis you've been given, who's having joint pain. Um, but I wanted to throw this out here real quick about these red flags. Now, if you're in, if you've ever been in healthcare for any reason, whether a doctor, nurse, physical therapist, whatever, um, and you've been taught about back pain, then you undoubtedly have been taught about these red flags. These are the signs and symptoms that we're taught to look out for when someone walks into our office with back pain. Um, to, to, to 
let us know that we need to look deeper, that we need to maybe order some studies and make sure that we're not missing something big. Big meaning the big scary things like infections, cancer, and um, inflammation from an autoimmune condition. So I'm not putting this up here to scare you, just necessarily for you to be informed. So what we're taught is to look for unexplained weight loss. So you're losing weight, you're not trying having unexplained fevers, having urinary or bowel incontinence or muscle weakness. Um, anyone over 50 or younger than 18 is considered a red flag only because most of low back pain is gonna be in the patients in between those ages. Um, if you've had any trauma, and that doesn't necessarily need to be trauma the day before, any, any trauma from weeks to even months before should be considered if you're on medications that lower your immune system, so not only things like prednisone or what we use in rheumatology, but chemotherapy, or if you've had surgery to the back recently, these can put you at higher risk for an infection. So that needs to be noted. Night pain is one of the more vague uh, red flags. It's, it's not particularly um, specific for any particular condition, but it's something to note. And then if you're not getting better after a month, you know, we talked about how back pain is fairly common and we don't really find a cause, but if your back pain is pretty consistent for more than a month, then that might be a red flag. Now, one thing to consider is that at, for those people with low back pain, at one point or another, most of them will have one or two of these red flags. So just because you look at this list and think, oh my goodness, I have, you know, I'm 51 or I'm 60 or I'm 17, doesn't mean that all of a sudden you need to go have every test done. It's, these are just for you to note so that when you go to see your doctor, you can let them know. I wanted to spend a few minutes talking about osteoarthritis and what it is. I know I've mentioned it, we've kind of thrown it around, but I wanted to be specific about what it actually is. Osteoarthritis is the more common type of arthritis. We think of it as the wear and tear arthritis that happens as we get older. In reality, it is probably much more complex. Not probably, it is much more complicated than that. Um, you know, when you have osteoarthritis and rheumatoid arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis over the years has gotten a lot more research, a lot more funding money has gone into understanding what rheumatoid arthritis is, the physiology, and then of course medications. Osteoarthritis, unfortunately, hasn't gotten that kind of attention because it was considered, well, it's just a natural part of getting older. Thankfully, that's not the case anymore. A lot more attention and research is being, th is being um, thrown at osteoarthritis and we're really understanding what's going on in the joint and in the cartilage a lot better. Um, there are some risk factors uh, to look out for when we're talking about osteoarthritis. We talked earlier about genetics. Genetics plays a big role. If you have any family members that have osteoarthritis in their knee, hips, or hands in particular, then that might put you at higher risk. BMI we know is associated with osteoarthritis as well as nutritional deficiencies and sex hormones. Now we don't, I can't draw a direct line and we don't know exactly how sex hormones are linked, but Osteoarthritis in general is more commonly seen in women. And so there must be some interplay there with the hormones that we just don't understand yet. Bone mineral density on either side of the spectrum, either having very low bone mineral density or very high BMD can put you at higher risk. Having any kind of malalignment, muscle weakness and trauma. So you think about that athlete who's had multiple injuries to the knee later on in their, in their life, they might have um, a higher risk of osteoarthritis. So these are some example x-rays showing the progression of 
knee osteoarthritis over seven years. So this is the knee. You can see here on the left, this is a healthy knee. You have a nice healthy space between the bones. It's always important to realize that when you're looking at an x-ray, you're only looking at the bones. So you're not looking at cartilage. You don't see the tendons or the ligaments. Now, because we see such a nice healthy space there, we can presume that we've got a nice healthy meniscus in that knee. Now you progress four years later and you'll see that that space has gotten smaller. It's a little more asymmetric, meaning that on the left, the space is a little smaller compared to the right. Um, and this is the beginnings of osteoarthritis. We can presume that the menisci inside this knee is getting torn. And then you progress to seven years and you can see here on that one side, the left side, there's actual bone on bone. And that meniscus is probably worn down to the bone. The white area of the bone you see there is what we call sclerosis. And then if you look on the edges, on the edges of the bone, you can see these bone spurs that are popping up. Um, similar, yes, exactly right there. And we call them osteophytes. And that is a reaction, your bone's reaction to the grinding of flexing and extending, bending, walking upstairs that you're doing on that knee. So we get all these findings with osteoarthritis. Your cartilage breaks down, your tendons and ligaments around the joint, some get loose, some get tight, so you get malalignment, and then ultimately you can get bony changes. Now, I wanna just highlight something that harkens back to what Stephanie was talking about, about pain. Just because you might have osteoarthritis on an x-ray, and I use a knee as an example, but it can really happen in any joint. It happens in your hands, happens in your back, it can happen anywhere. But just because we see osteoarthritis on an x-ray does not mean, number one, it's the reason for your pain, and number two, that you are destined for a lifetime of pain. And I think those are two very important concepts to wrap your head around when you're thinking about what your options are for treatment and to make you feel better. A lot of times patients and doctors, unfortunately, will look at an x-ray like this and they'll hear you have knee pain and boom, send you to the surgeon and you need to have a knee replacement. And they won't even look to see how you're moving and what your lifestyle's like, or even talk to you about the quality of your pain. You know, as Stephanie talked about, there's lots of different types of pain. And just because we see an x-ray like this doesn't mean that that bone on bone is causing pain. Now, I know a lot of us get fixated on this idea of, oh, my x-ray has bone on bone, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's what's causing your pain. I've seen plenty of patients who have x-rays where you're like, oh my goodness, this person must be in a wheelchair and they're playing tennis, they're playing golf, they're living their life. And then I've seen the flip side. I've seen patients where x-rays are really unremarkable, but yet they're having a lot of pain. And so I think it really speaks to how we are only at the beginning of really understanding pain and how pain is processed, how pain is individual and what other factors in our life, aside from an x-ray finding, aside from being bone on bone can impact our pain. Even things such as having a good night's sleep, eating a healthy diet, having healthy relationships, all those things can impact the way we perceive pain and absolutely don't change your x-ray at all. Yeah, and I can add a little bit to that. It's, um, you know, we've had people that same thing kind of thing goes with like MRIs and things like that. When you look at the research on some of the stuff, like you could have, you know, someone that has a meniscal tear for their, their knee, 
but yet they're fully functional, pain-free, no problems. And that's like 60 to 80% of people. You can have people that show degenerative changes. And again, that's like 60 to 80% of people. And these are like people that you put in MRI that are fully functional, no, no problems. So if you have pain and then all of a sudden you're taking these images is, um, and they're assuming that, oh, this is what it is. This image is what, where it is. Um, and you can, it's, it's true. Like doctors can be like looking at imaging going like, how are you functioning? You're like, I don't know. I feel fine. Like I just have this little bit of pain and it's no big deal. And then you have people that like are in so much pain and they're like looking at the imaging going, there's nothing wrong. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's why you have to really, um, you know, take the, the, the big picture and really understand like, you know, understand, you know, more things than just an image to, to really help someone. Then, you know, from a PT perspective, when a knee, I can tell when a knee is like, you need to have a total knee replacement or a hip, like, and I had one about two weeks, two, my gosh, years ago. And he had grinding. I'm like, Oh my God. But I, I was like, well, maybe it's just coming from the tendon and we improved him a little bit. And he got, he definitely got functionally better. And he was, if he could have prevented the surgery, he would have prevented the surgery. But I mean, he had the grinding and I mean, it's a, it's a very specific, like, Oh, I don't even want to move your joint because it like, you could just feel the grinding and you can feel it in the knee too. So, um, you pretty much know as a PT, like, yep, this isn't going to really work. Like you're going to need to have surgery. <laughs> we do refer people to surgery every so often. It, do, it does happen. Oh no, there's a role for surgery for sure. It's just, um, it's just making sure that you understand where the pain is coming from, because I've seen patients who, yes, they need a surgery, but they also have this other component of neuropathic pain. And when you haven't fully tease that out, I think it can, it can mess with our expectations of what we're going to get after oh, surgery. Absolutely, yes. And, 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 and that can just cause a whole lot of problems. So you just always want to go into surgery, the strongest you can be and the most knowledgeable about your pain yeah. as possible. And yeah. I always tell people like with imaging and x-rays and things like that with bone spurs and stuff, it's kind of like, um, you know, as we age, we get wrinkles on our face. It is just a part of aging. Now, would we like what? to do surgery and get rid of it? <laughs> yes, we would. But, <laughs> but it's just, it's a part of aging. It is a part of aging. And when we, that's why when you go and you look at these MRIs and these x-rays and we start seeing things as we get older, that it's just a part of aging. It's just the wrinkles. It's just on our face. It's, just, it's inside of our body. So that's why we get so many like you know, um, so many people that have no pain and are showing up to, to having something. Yeah. So then I just wanted to speak a little bit about treatment for OA. Um, I know this is definitely more in, in Stephanie's wheelhouse, but there, of course, there are medications that we use. And if you go in for a five minute appointment with your doc, you'll most likely be told just take a Tylenol or take an ibuprofen. But the things that have been shown to have the biggest long-term impact are going to be things like PT and self-management and low impact exercise. If you're overweight, losing weight can definitely help or finding some assistant devices to help you do the things in your house that might be aggravating your pain. Um, and so I always put this as the first step when we're talking about treatment because the medications are there and there is a role for them, um, especially when you're having a particularly bad day or acute pain. But when you're talking about long-term management, like we were talking before, it's really about moving and learning about how you, your body moves, what aggravates your pain and getting stronger. 
And then these are just some of the common medicines that um, you'll come across from doctors. So acetaminophen is Tylenol. We talked about NSAIDs. NSAIDs can be oral or topical. So there is, it just um, was over the counter last year, topical diclofenac. The other name is Voltaren gel. Um, and it's a great way if you have a lot of heartburn and you can't take ibuprofen, or if you are over 65, we don't recommend taking oral ibuprofen. This is a way of getting some of the benefits without those risks because it's topical, it doesn't really absorb as much and certainly doesn't go into the stomach. If you have significant um, joint pain, either from osteoarthritis or other reasons, and you've only gotten so far with physical therapy and for whatever reason, surgery isn't an option for you, at that point, then they will consider opioid, narcotic medicines, things like tramadol, and those are usually going to be prescribed by pain management specialists. And then I wanted to highlight duloxetine. Duloxetine is getting a lot more usage um, in the world of osteoarthritis in particular. Um, for those of you who aren't aware of duloxetine, the brand name is Cymbalta. Um, many people have heard of Cymbalta just from commercials. It was FDA approved for depression and fibromyalgia. And I mention it here because it highlights how our knowledge about pain is expanding. Um, fibromyalgia, which is a whole different beast, um, has really, the acknowledgement of fibromyalgia by the medical community has really led to a lot more research into pain, how we perceive pain, how the nervous system might not be functioning perfectly, and that's why we have this elevated um, response to pain. And as a consequence of this research, medicines like duloxetine have been developed and successfully used. So we found that it's not only helpful with depression and fibromyalgia, but then it's also helpful if you have osteoarthritis. Now that doesn't mean that if you have osteoarthritis and you have pain in your knee that you have fibromyalgia, but what it shows me as a rheumatologist who sees a lot of patients with these conditions is that there is some sort of common physiologic pathway of how we are interpreting this pain. And again, it's so it's more complicated than just you've got bone on bone, right? These are, we are a complex set of systems that um, you know, is, is more complicated than just a bone on bone x-ray. And so that's why I highlight, I also just wanted to highlight it because I've seen a lot of times patients come out of doctor's appointment with a prescription for duloxetine, having no idea why they got it. And then they look it up and they see that it's for depression and it can really breed a lot of mistrust between us and our medical providers. So I just wanted to throw that out there that it is used for osteoarthritis pain. And then of course we have our joint injections and surgery, which, you know, I think we all agree should be a last resort. So here's just a kind of a, a story of hope. I always like to share stories because I feel like people, it gives people hope. Um, and this is someone that was um, in pain and um, not really sure what he did to his knee, all of a sudden started having pain. And a lot of times when I ask patients like, well, what did you do? And they said, I'm not really sure. Then I'm, I'm pretty sure there's nothing, you know, really major going on. Like it's not something that needs surgery. Um, because usually when, you know, if someone's fallen or they've had an accident, then I start like having to think of things and, you know, maybe in a different light. But the majority of the time when people come into the office, it's like, I'm not really sure what I did. <laughs> and that's kind of how this person was. But he had gone to the doctor's office and um, they got an MRI and said, oh my gosh, you have a torn meniscus, you need to have surgery. And um, his wife had been in our office and said, you have got to go see um, empower physical therapy, please go see them before having the surgery. And so he, he did. 
And so we looked at him and I was like asking him again, like, what did you do? He's like, I'm not really sure. I'm like, well, I don't really think they probably need surgery, but it wasn't anything big. Like for him, it really wasn't the issue, but it was like, um, he was kneeling down, you know, cause he had these little puppy dogs. Um, and we have these fat pads that are in front of our knee. And sometimes they kind of get, kind of get dislodged in our joint and it can mimic a meniscal tear. It can mimic, it feels just the same. You don't have full range of motion. You stand up, your knee wants to give away. Um, and it, it mimicked it. And I was like, well, I'll find out because you're either going to get better in like a week, um, you know, maybe not hundred percent better, but like significantly better. Or as we keep on going in the next few, few um, weeks, if it doesn't get better, then we know that it's, it's, then you probably have a meniscal tear, but I don't really think so. And sure enough, within like a week, he was like, oh my God, I feel so much better. Canceled the surgery. Um, and, and he's on off to like, going out, working out and doing those kind of things. So again, it's like one of those things you've got to go sit down and just start asking questions to kind of figure it out. And, you know, sometimes when you go to a doctor's office, a five minute appointment is just not going to do you justice. And you really need to move the body and see how it responds. Like we take baselines, we move you and we retest the baselines and it gives us information on what, what we need to do and what, what are things that are, that are going on. And like I said, there's always, there's layers of things with a lot of people. Um, and here's another one with back pain. She um, was a tennis player. She'd been to a lot of different pl places, um, but she'd been suffering with back pain, hurting for years. Um, numerous doctors told she needed to have surgery. She didn't want to have surgery. Um, she did physical therapy at other places. You know, they do like a lot of cookie cutter stuff where they just sit down. You don't, you can't spend a lot of time with them because they're with two or three other patients and, um, and they're moving from back and forth. They're just basically saying, okay, do your exercises over there. Yeah. We need to work on core strengthening, which has nothing to do with back pain. You've got to fix the pain before you can get to the strengthening piece of it. Kind of like what I talked to before. Um, and so she came in and, uh, I mean, yeah, she also tried acupuncture. She also tried massage. Um, and she came in and, um, and, you know, I started asking her a lot of questions, figuring out what it was, where the source was coming from. And for her, it, it really was a back issue. And a lot of it was, um, she had issues with a lot of like the bending activities. Like that's what kept on coming up in, in our conversation. It was the sitting, it was the bending down. It was all the bending activities was making her hurt. So I was like, okay, perfect. So let's take some baselines. We took baselines of her back and, and we said, let's go and reverse it because if all the bending is what's hurting you, we need to reverse that direction um, and just start improving that joint mobility. And so that's what we did. We reversed her direction. She started doing some, some back bends, like some press ups, those kind of things. And sure enough, six weeks later, she was back to, to playing tennis, having no problems, but you know, it, it takes time to figure where things are and it's not a cookie cutter process and, and you have to sit down and have a conversation and, and that's what we can do at our office. Yeah. So um, again, this has been great. I just wanted to give a few words about what I do at Connected Rheumatology. So similar to Empower, we really focus on the amount of time we're able to give our patients. Um, we utilize telemedicine and house calls. So a first-time consultation overall will include almost two and a half to three hours of face-to-face -face time with, with me, with the doctor. Um, and it's not all in one sitting. We do it over telemedicine. We do a house call. And it really allows both of us to get to the root of exactly what's going on. We get to know each other and we can figure out what therapies are going to be needed and really have an individualized plan. So 
definitely look at our, you know, especially in rheumatology, we have so many new medications that have come out, but we don't just focus on that. I put a big emphasis on how you live your life. So that includes what you eat, how you move, how you sleep, the relationships you have, your job, your history, whether it's, uh, you know, growing up, family history, all of that has to be taken into account because it's all, I mean, it's all connected. That's why I, that's why I named my practice Connected Rheumatology because I was finding it just, you can't really just focus on one thing. It, it really does impact everything. And so being able to spend that much time with every patient really allows us to get to all those issues where I know for a fact that you just don't have the time to in a traditional practice. I mean, I was in a traditional practice and I was much as I was trying to cram all that in in 15 minutes, it was just very difficult. And so this allows um, us to really kind of dive deep and figure out, well, do you need all these medicines and which ones do you need and which ones do you not? And um, what are you doing in your everyday life that might be aggravating your inflammation? Diet plays a huge role in, in our pain and in, in our inflammation. And unfortunately, I know there was one of the questions of what's the right path, what's the right diet if you have RA or osteoarthritis. And I really wish I could just give a prescription for the diet that helps everyone, but it's so individual. Um, I think that a good first step is always going to be number one, being honest with yourself, being honest about what you're really eating. I know that's an important first step that's really hard. I have trouble with that. Um, and then once you're honest, like taking a good look at how much pro processed and sugar you're intaking, because that's the one thing that every, all the nutritional scientists across the board agree on is that sugar is pro-inflammatory. Now, the rest of nutritional science is is pretty is a mixed bag. You find just as many articles um, suggesting a plant-based diet as you might a carnivore and keto diet. And what it really comes down to is the individual. Um, but being able to spend that much time with someone really allows me to get to get to those issues with patients. Um, same with um, movement. That's where I really rely on physical therapists to help us because, you know. Uh, as you may or may not know, but doctors get zip training in physical therapy. And even as a rheumatologist where, you know, I'm considered an expert of the musculoskeletal system, I'm by no means an expert in movement and those kinds of things. And so a lot of what I've learned, I've learned from being a, a, a learner and patient like everyone else by going to my own physical therapist. And so I definitely rely on the expertise of, of people like Stephanie. And so, yeah, that's what, that's what we do at Connected Rheumatology. I'm super excited to be able to, to provide the kind of care I always wanted to. So we have some special offers for you guys. Um, so for me, um, we have these things that we call a discovery visit. And that's um, basically a time very similar to like the 20 minute consultation with uh, Dr. Ortez. Um, it's, you know, where you can sit down, we can have a conversation and really just help you make a better decision about your health. And that's whether you come in or you don't come into our office. It's just really just to sit down and help you make a better decision. And then if you decide that you wanna come in for our full evaluation, and we'll give you $75 off the evaluation and that, for that price if you use that in the next 15 days. So those are, um, you know, some things that we can do. You're going to get an email. It'll probably be in your inbox in literally like 10 minutes. And you're gonna have, 
um, a way to sign up for uh, our discovery visits where we can start sitting down having a conversation. So there's a link, you can click on it and you can go. We also have um, all of Dr. Elizabeth Ortez's information. So we have her email address, we have her phone number, everything there. So if you want to um, talk to her to, for that 20 minute consultation, all that information's in that email. So check your inbox. And if you don't get that information, please reach out to us. We'll reach out to you guys tomorrow just to make sure that you got it. And if you don't have any, if you have any other questions. Um, before we go, let's go through some of the questions um, that we went through. I think a lot of it, we, we went through some of it we did. Um, you know, how can you prevent knee pain and back pain from coming back? So the biggest predictor of having back pain is if you've had it before. And a lot of it is, is kind of what I talked about. Um, when you have come in and you've had a bout of back pain or knee pain, what happens at our office usually is we'll say, okay, these are the exercises that we want you to stick with. And usually we pick a top two. Like if, as long as you're staying active and, and moving and, and doing things like that, we basically say you need to make sure from a lifestyle perspective, like if you're like, for instance, if, if you're gardening, you've had back pain, we're like, you know, every 15 minutes to 30 minutes, you need to go and do your press ups so that you're offsetting the bending motion so that they have a game plan around their daily lifestyle thing so they know what to do and how to kind of prevent it. Um, or I'll say like, you need to do these, these few exercises, just stick them at the end of your exercise routine. Just make sure that you get these two stretches in so that you're basically maintaining that mobility in the spine or the knee or the hip or whatever the case may be. So whatever we give you, you stick with it and you're gonna be able to prevent it for the most part. Um, so just like anything else, the thing that we do to help you get out of it is a thing that you need to continue to do to stay out of it. <laughs> um, does food have anything to do with RA, osteoarthritis? Um, what is the right path for that? So yes, and it's very, very individual. Like I said, I think the first good step is being honest, cutting out the sugar, and then um, kind of exploring the different options. I think there's a lot of interesting information and data about gluten, about dairy, about red meat, all of them being possible triggers of pain. Um, but it really is so individual. It's a lot of trial and error. Once you get, once you've cut out some of that processed junk, then a lot of it's trial and error, finding what you feel best doing. So another question is why do so many people suffer from back and knee pain? And, and what are some easy tricks to start feeling better now? Woo! If I had an answer to easy tricks, I'd be a I millionaire. Know, I know. When I saw that, I was like, easy tricks. I mean, tricks. I can oh, tell man. you, like, if you've been in for an evaluation and you know, like, what it is that, that started it, then you, you go back to those things. And literally, like, if you've been feeling good and you've been doing the exercises and it starts coming back, you go back to those exercises. Those are the easiest tricks that you're going to have to help, like, keep you out of it. I mean, if you've heard anything, if you've listened to some of my podcasts that I've had out there, and you hear some of the stories, that's what they'll say. It's like, oh my gosh, I start feeling it. I go back to the exercises and it's gone. So yeah. that would be the easy trick. It's just knowing what it is for you. We'd have to see you to know what it is for you. Right. Um, and why do so many people suffer from back pain and knee pain? You know, it's because that's like, we we're on our feet. We sit, like we do so much with our lower body. They're the two, they're the two most things, the biggest things that impact people's lives. Um, and so that's why you hear more about it. Um, why arthritis is rarely the problem and what are we really going, what's going on to causing your back or knee pain? Oh, hmm. 
I'd say, you know, for me, I go into kind of lifestyle stuff too, because it's yeah. usually the lifestyle, the repetitive movements that you do. Um, you know, our body has to recover from each activity that we do. And if we don't recover, then it's like it, it may start tightening up or start creating problems. And, and then eventually, you know, your body w wants to do what you want it to do. And then you start compensating to keep on doing it until eventually you're like, I have a little bit of stiffness in the morning to like, I kind of feel it after I do these activities too. Now I feel it all the time. It's something that's been coming on for a while. Once when you go through it, just like with anything else, I don't care what it is in your life, whether it's like an emotional thing that you overcame and, um, or it's a physical thing that you overcame. Like once when you overcome it, you kind of know when you start sliding back that you're like, I need to do these things and get back to being better so that they, they don't happen again. It's kind of those, it's kind of the same thing with, with this. So you just have to, um, again, yeah, just it's, it's a lifestyle thing, a lot, a lot of it. Um, and, and that's including with diets and, and emotional. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's all encompassing. And stress management. I yes, think, absolutely. you know, when I, when I saw those questions of why do so many people suffer? I mean, of course the mechanical aspect, but I also, my mind just kept going to the stress of our daily lives and, you know, kind of what you were talking about. It's like, well, if you notice a movement, then you just go back to your exercises. And I would even say, if you notice that you had a stressful event that then led to pain, know what you need to do to take care of yourself, whether it's some yoga or some sleep or hanging out with a good friend or whatever it is to manage the stress. Absolutely. I mean, again, it goes down to what's the source of the problem. And so what are, what are the areas? And, and that's where you really like, um, I know it's people want to come on and say like, what's the exercise? What's the one thing that I can do? And, and it's, it's like anything else in life. When you have a coach, we're like a health coach for you guys. Um, we can, we can bring awareness around things that you don't even see because you're so emotionally attached to it and you don't even know. And that's really what we do is we bring awareness around some of the problems to help you know, okay, these are some of the things that you're doing and, and not doing um, that you, we need to take away from, or we need to modify how do you decide, um, oh, how, how, is, how do you know if your hip, knee, or leg pain is really coming from your back, and what you, should you do about it? Well, I mean, I could do a whole talk on that. I could probably do a two-day <laughs> talk on that. <laughs> um, you, you don't really know. Um, I always start with the back and rule it out, and so we take baselines at my office. So we do baselines of like, you know, back range of motion baselines, um, knee range of motion baselines, hip range, like whatever's kind of going on. We take strength baselines. Your strength can improve pretty quickly when we get to the source of kind of what it is because your, your body doesn't want to respond to it. So it just doesn't because if it does, it's, it's like it hurts. And so then we just start um, moving you. We move you and retest it. And then that's how we start ruling in the back or ruling out the back or ruling in the hip or ruling in the knee. So it's very um, methodical in how we go through the stuff to really figure out what it is. So um, I wish I had a better answer, <laughs> uh, but you really don't know until you get an evaluation. Um, how do you decide which of your patients would benefit from physical therapy? All of them. <laughs> All of them. 100%. There is no decision. It's just a matter of, you know, when we get to it, like on the long list of things we're going to talk about when we get to movement, I'm like, all right, have you ever done physical therapy? You know, we, and we just get into it all 100%. Um, the next question of what signs are you looking for when you decide to refer? I actually was like, well, they all get referred. It's more what signs, um, 
encouragement that the patient will have a really good outcome is if they're motivated, if they're um, inquisitive about their own, their own illness, their own body, their own movement. And um, I just had a brain fart on what the other one was, but motivated is a big one. Um, you know, someone who's like ready to, to really start that journey. Because I think the other thing about physical therapy I've noticed with patients who've never done it, which may not be the audience here, but it's, it's a, it's, it's work. It's not a spa treatment where you just lay on the table and someone moves you, you know, it's work. Like you are learning about your body. You are learning about your movements. You're learning how to repair some damage. And then you need to continue that. It is just because our insurance plans will only cover six to 12 sessions does not mean that that's all you need. And so um, someone that I know is going to be successful is someone who understands that and is ready for that. Yeah. And, and a lot of times, you know, in our office, we operate so differently because, um, you know, typically we see people once a week and we work on them. And I don't, I can tell you, my patients don't think that they come on the table and think that when I, when we work on them, that it feels amazing. They feel amazing afterwards, but I think they think I, I torture them and that it's just my job to torture them. And I'm sure some of my patients are laughing right now, <laughs> but um, it's, yeah, it, we really kind of go say, you know, these are some of the things that you need to work on this week and, and you start working on them. And then, you know, we do it very different. We want to give you like one or two things to work on every single week and do it more often versus doing like 25 things and being overwhelmed and not being able to do it. So we, we take a very different approach and, and a lot of the other physical therapy that's out there, you know, again, like you're seeing two and three patients, they don't set you up on a program. You come in, do the same things over and over again. They might give you one new thing to work on and that's it. It's not sitting down, having conversations and going, okay, what's next? What are the next steps? Um, how, how did it work from last week? And just really getting down to, um, you know, really helping you and coaching you through the whole problem. Um, here's another good question for you. Um, I know in some rheumatologic conditions, patients will have flares. Is it better to see the patient for physical therapy during the flare or outside of it? Um, outside the flare. And when, when something like rheumatoid arthritis is in the midst of a flare, that usually means not only are the joints swollen, hot, red, and painful, but usually the patient's very fatigued. That might also go along with chest pain, headaches, trouble concentrating, you know, these autoimmune conditions are systemic. They're more than just the joints. And so when someone is in the midst of that, um, it's usually rest, um, possibly medications to bring that down. And then once they're more stable, then we send them back to the physical therapist. But in that state, doing, um, doing any kind of physical therapy exercises, you know, of course, everyone's individual, but for the most part, I'll say, you know, right now we just need to rest. We need to get this under control, figure out why this happened. You know, um, flares happen just for, we've always assumed for no reason, but when you really dig, you usually find out there's, there was some trigger or some stress or something. So we need to take the time to figure that out. And then once all that's calmed down, once, um, yeah, once the person's feeling better, then they can go back. Um, another question is stretches that can help with the back and the knees. So I, in the email that you guys will get, I have my ebook for back pain, which will talk about some of the common stretches that I give. I also have an ebook for knee pain which are some of the common things that we go through. Um, so that'll probably be the best thing for you guys just to click on that and sign up for that, that ebook. 
Um, and again, that comes in the email. You probably have it in your inbox right now as we are talking. <laughs> um, what are the two most common causes of back pain or knee pain? Um, yes, you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, the back pain and knee pain are the two most common causes of, I mean, of pain that, and that disrupts people's lives, but there's not really, you really can't say, um, there it's, there's, it's, yeah, there's, you're never, even if you look that up, I don't even, I, I'd be curious. I want to see what Google says on that, but there's, there's not really, most of the time people aren't really sure what they did when they come in. That's, that's like 90% of the cases when you ask them, well, what did you do? Well, I'm not really sure. I just kind of woke up with some pain. Um, you know, one, one of them for the back is lifting, improper lifting techniques is probably a big one. Um, but you don't always see that, but it can, like, sometimes you could be lifting and doing like three, four, five other things, like sitting in a job, lifting and all of a sudden three days later, you're, you're hurting. Well, was it that, or was it other things, or was it accumulation of things that happened throughout your lifetime or, you know, the last year that created some of your problems? You don't know. What are some of the mistakes that patients make along the path with dealing with knee pain or back pain? Um, gosh, well, I would say, I would, well, I would say one of the things I've noticed is being so fixated on the joint that hurts and fixated on what the x-rays or the images show. I think that just like anything else, it's very important data, but it is not the end all be all. And I think, um, I think so. I think people kind of dig themselves or back themselves up into a corner when they're just focused on 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 those findings. And unfortunately, a lot of doctors don't help when the doctors just focus on those things too. Um, but I would say, in my experience, that's one of the biggest mistakes. Um, I would say some mistakes would be, um, and you and and it really is not a mistake. It's just me understanding like what you guys are going through. <laughs> Um, is when you go to places and they won't listen to you, you just need to leave. Um, I can't tell you how many times people have been into like physical therapy offices, um, gosh, doctor's offices. And they'll like, I literally had a patient that said, um, he decided that he was going to go to an, another physical therapy office and, um, and then eventually came back. And I was like, I knew he was going to, I was like, you just don't understand what the dark side looks like. <laughs> but he, um, he said, he said when he went there, he would tell them the whole entire story and they'd go in and they do the same thing. And he said, when he came into my office, the difference was he'd start telling me something and all of a sudden I'd ask him four or five, six questions. And then I'd be like, okay, perfect. We're going to start here. Let's look at this, this, and this. And I ought, we automatically changed things up and looked at different things where he said at the other office, essentially they weren't listening to him. Like he was painfully explaining it. And then they would go in and they do the exact same thing, whether it was the exact same manual technique or the exact same exercises. So I'd say if you go to someone and they aren't listening to you, if they aren't asking you questions, a lot of questions, you need to keep on looking for someone else because they're not going to help you. Um, and if you have anyone that ever makes you feel like you're you're lying or this is you're making all this up because we see people like that all the time as well it is not true we told you know your body you hold the truth to um to us helping you it's just we can help kind of guide you through that process and be that coach for you yeah no i completely agree there's nothing wrong with a second or third opinion um i think that half the battle when whatever you're dealing with is finding 
being a provider that you click with, that you connect with, that understands you, that you understand them, because otherwise you end up just spinning your wheels. Yeah. Well, awesome. Um, I'm going to end the recording. If we have any other questions, we can answer them there. But I also, you know, check your inbox again for our specials. Um, um, if you want to talk to Dr. Ortez or anyone in my office, um, we're here to just continue the conversation to figure out a little bit, you know, better plan for you. Hi, my name is Victoria. I'm a client care specialist. I hope you enjoy the information in this podcast. We have more education we can share with you. If you're having back pain or knee pain, you can get a free report on our top tips to resolving knee pain or back pain in the links below. Or if you'd like to sit down with one of our specialists, you can click on the link for this discovery visit if you live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area.